Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today's episode is a weird one on many levels. First, it's weird that we have not done a podcast on this before. Uh, We've had a lot of people ask us about it over the years. Uh, Secondly, It concerns something that has always fascinated us, allegations of hidden technology. Now, you know these stories, or you know the rough tropes. Uh, They come and go throughout the world of conspiratorial lore, but they will never really go away just because there are way too many known, proven cases of suppressed technology. We've explored it on the show, and there's way too much other weird, somewhat sinister circumstantial, very true stuff floating around, like the Invention Secrecy Act of, uh, what was it, 1951? That's a real thing. I'm still boggled by that. 
you can invent something in the United States and do everything right. And the government can totally not just steal your invention, but also legally prevent you from ever talking about it. The rest can you of imagine life. getting that visit or that call? What that? You're so stoked. You've patented your first like gangbusters genius idea, and then you get a call from the G-men saying, "Sorry, but we're going to suppress the hell out of this, and you can never speak of it again." You know, it's not the government's fault. They were just there two decades before and already patented <laughs> the thing, and then just you know they didn't have to tell anybody. Obviously. Oh, so it's parallel thinking with the government. Yeah, Got exactly. <laughs> I, I I spend uh, a little too much time, I think, whenever we get close to these topics, uh, just imagining what sort of stuff could have been pulled by the Invention Secrecy Act. I hope it's not all weapons. I hope it's some things that are like ridiculous, like uh, a regenerative uh, dentifrice, a toothpaste you can use that actually removes cavities. <laughs> and someone was like, no, this the world's not ready. Lock him They're up. Just a way... A way too advanced bidet, you know, yeah. like huh. we just, we can't have this. We cannot let this fly now. Yeah. An actually everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> yes. Wallpaper we, where the snozberries actually taste like mm, snozberries. Yes. Yes. Or uh, a pill that means you'll never have to sleep again. Uh, that's my personal favorite. Anyway, this stuff happens all the time. They have that. That's it's called uh, meth. No, <laughs> there's a trailer dropping for a show on the day we record this about a very, very pill. It's actually a more of a mind app, but it's all good. Nice. Can you disclose more? Sure. It's called Tomorrow's Monsters. It's brought to you by, by the Flynn Picture Company and Dan Bush and Psychopia Pictures and mm. myself and my team. So it's awesome. a documentary is what you're saying. It's a documentary. Yeah. Our very when, own Matt Frederick. <laughs> yeah, that's an exciting one. And we're not we're not blowing smoke. Uh, do check it out. I think we'll have the trailer for that show uh, in our own feed in a little while. But uh, stay you tuned. You betcha. <laughs> stay tuned. So suppress technology. Let's start today's story with a little bit of background on the U.S. Navy. Here are the facts. So we could start with the rumors, I suppose. We don't necessarily need to lead off with saying the rumors are true, but there are rumors, uh, tons of them, in fact, about the U.S. Navy and classified space age experiments. Uh, these rumors don't exist in a vacuum. They don't come from absolute whole cloth. The Navy has, of course, done tons of secret experiments. It's a, a thing. It's a known thing that the Navy does experiments that we'll probably never hear about, or at the very least, the full extent of this research. But the stuff that has been declassified is really, really, really cool. Oh, yeah. And one of the first things we can look at is this amazing piece of tech called the Sea Shadow. Not to be confused with the Sea Shanties that are very popular on TikTok right now. Just putting that out there. No, it's not a Sea Shanty. It's a Sea Shadow. <laughs> the, it's, uh, it's a stealth warship. It will remind you of... If you took one of the stealth bombers or the stealth jet fighter that we've talked about before on the show that you've seen that made their appearances during the Gulf War, I believe, mm -hmm. um, like an F, yeah, F-117 Nighthawk, very similar to that. But you took that thing, then you kind of crunched it down, turned its wings kind of on its side and downwards a bit, and then put it in the water. Uh, that's kind of what it looks like. So a little bit like the X-Wing or the X-Men like plane, sort of. Yeah, or a B-2 bomber, or I'm going to be completely honest, a real kick-ass toy from the G.I. Joe toy line. <gasps> it looks yeah. like you could buy it at Target uh, and put your little figures in it. Remember <laughs> when they used to make toys and then everything else was just based on the toy? Now it's the other way around. Yeah. I miss those days. 
I love it. I love all the uh, I love the ridiculous extents that will go to to make a storyline around a, a toy line. You know what I mean? Uh, so mm-hmm. this, the Sea Shadow is a real thing. It was created in partnership with Lockheed and DARPA. DARPA, again, if you're listening, get at me. Where's the sleep tech? Not meth. I'm not asking for meth. I just want to stay awake. Uh, so the Sea Shadow, it was a project that spanned from like 1984 to its public debut and confirmation of existence in 1993. It looks super cool. Uh, it had some really smart technology aboard and uh, in its DNA, you could say, but ultimately it was never commissioned. In fact, it was gutted and sold by Uncle Sam uh, after they had spent a, a, a while trying to get a museum to take it. No museum would take it. So they sold it to a private company with a very weird condition. And so we're selling this to you and you have to destroy it. You have to take it apart. You can never use it or sale it. Just sell it for scrap. And typically we're not going to hear about this kind of stuff unless the military decides they no longer have any use for it or it's more or less considered a failed experiment, right? Right. That's a good point. So there are two ways that uh, there are a number of ways militaries will disclose this kind of bleeding edge tech. First, if it doesn't work and they feel like maybe another intelligence agency has already compromised the research, that's why, you know, when enough time passes, that's when you start hearing about stuff like we tried to use bats as explosive devices in World War II, things like that. Um, but, or those hover platforms. Remember those hover mm-hmm. platforms with the like propellers on the bottom? That was a real cool idea. Clearly it was super wonky, impossible to steer more so than like a Segway. And that came out, uh, you know, you can see you can see drawings of these on the Internet. Mm-hmm. One of those was actually mistaken for a UFO in Mexico a few years back. Actually, I don't think mistaken is right because it was an unidentified flying object. Aerial phenomenon. Yeah. I think that's you know that's sort of the old story of where a lot of uh, sightings of, of, of UFOs come from is uh, veiled government technology that no one knows about. So therefore, it must be if we don't know about it, it must be you know from another galaxy. Absolutely. Another reason that a government might disclose bleeding edge tech is to send an intimidation signal to a geopolitical rival. Mm. Uh, That's I mean, that's that's a powerful statement. Uh, And then there are, of course, legit leaks like the Assange's and Snowden's of the world. Uh, But but what's interesting about this is although the sea shadow is long gone, uh, you can see its influence, its legacy in other ships today, like the USNS Impeccable, an ocean surveillance ship that was recently, or a few years back, I should say, in the news for uh, some ratcheting tensions in the uh, Pacific theater, mainly China, uh, and uh, interacting with the US and the Philippines. But so the sea shadow, it's a real thing. It looks like a spaceship... (laughs) On the water, and uh, it, it, just to be clear here, the U, USNS Impeccable looks like that build that we were discussing, where it's got it looks like it's got two parts of it on the bottom that go into the water and are submerged really deeply, mm-hmm. and then kind of goes up in an arc, almost like almost like the underside of a bridge tunnel or something. Mm. Beneath, Great example, yeah, beneath the ship, so that other things can go in there. Uh, I I guess. Pretty cool. I want one. I want to live on one. But uh, so the Navy also did other wild stuff. 
uh, back in the day, just to show you how long ago this process was. So Sea Shadow, fair, comparatively recent. But the Navy also experimented with airborne aircraft carriers. Uh, this is something uh, we covered in an, an old episode of Car Stuff. For a while, they, okay, this idea is going to sound crazy, and it's going to sound like uh, it's it's a conversation that a bunch of coked up 80s movie producers would have. But here's what happened. Uh, they said, blimps are cool. We like airships. Let's build airships that we can put <laughs> tiny air. planes in. And then <laughs> we can have these tiny planes fly out of the airships. And then guys... Guys, we're gonna we're gonna put the planes back in the blimps, bro. I love that idea, and I love you so much, guys. This is the best karaoke night ever, uh, blimps. But yeah, they did the USS Akron, the USS Macon. Uh, they were lighter than air craft, uh, and they were huge. They were eight hundred feet long. They had built-in hangars, and they could take these tiny, tiny planes uh, and deploy them. And then the pilots could, in theory, and they did this successfully a few times, they could also return to the airship, dock, and be taken back up into the blimp. But it's like anybody with anxiety, your heart will already start racing when you hear about how they connected back. They had to, like, fly up under the airship at this match at speed, and they had a little hook on, on this tiny plane, and they had to kind of, like, like at a carnival game or an arcade game they had to kind of like position the hook onto this bar that was just hanging down from the blimp they had to hope it connected and then have perfect timing so that they didn't destroy the whole house of airborne cards no surprise eventually uh they eventually uncle sam decided this was kind of a wild unreliable idea uh, for a number of reasons. And we know the Navy also experiments with armament, right? Um, I remember. Well, wait, wait, yeah. we can't, we can't leave USS Akron yet because we know it exploded, right? Yes. Yeah. Let's it, not bury it, the lead. Yeah, for it, sure. It Mistakes straight up were exploded. Made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it didn't fly for very long, but in 1933, that's when, its final flight occurred, at least the the Akron version that we spoke of. Mm -hmm. It had it had a number of accidents, yeah. But was work in progress, work in progress. Uh, so we also know the Navy experiments uh, extensively with new types of armament, you know, mortar shells and so on. Probably one of the coolest things to hit the public sphere is uh, the railgun, which has been fascinating us for a number of years. Uh, shout out. Shout out to the railgun crews because that stuff is supposed to be ready in 2021 to 2025. Was that Quake? Yes. I think it was Quake. Yes. I was just, I was like, am I crazy? Like, I thought that was a weapon in Doom or Quake. Pretty sure it's Quake. But this is not a handheld device. This is like a massive ordnance cannon. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's not something you can carry around with you yet. In a handheld well, version. We, we don't know. We don't, we we don't, don't know, know what they're up to. Yeah, okay. Let, let's put it that way. It's not something we can carry around uh, in a handheld go. version. And the Navy has done tons of other stuff. Uh, the drawing board is filled with mistakes and triumphs. Um, of course, you know, Matt, I thought of you specifically with this one. Uh, it's maybe a story for another day, but there's a lot of research into unmanned 
uh, maritime vehicles. Like Lockheed has is building those prototypes now. Like sea drones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Of course they are. Oh, man. I just haven't seen it. I haven't looked into it, but... Yeah, find me in a week, and <laughs> I'll be very, very into this. The uh, yeah, I I always picture. Oh, what was that film? I I always picture the guys from Step Brothers looking at <laughs> an unmanned uh, ship of this sort and saying, "Like, wow, once you take the people out, there's so much room for activities." <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But isn't the idea the same way that like laptops now don't have disk drives in them anymore? Aren't they trying to make the smallest possible package? To f- I guess when you say activities, we're, co- we're, we're like using that as a stand in for features and yeah. like tech and weaponry, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, fuel, uh, more communications equipment. You also don't have to worry so much about uh, various safety mechanisms you would put in to keep the, the meat bags going safely port to port. It's almost as though people are going to one day become an afterthought in all of this stuff. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but. We are giving you these examples, again, these very real examples to establish this fact. Yes, the U.S. military constantly engages in classified research, experimentation and design and so on and so on and so on. A ton of it ends up never working, Uh, but it's also safe to assume, I would say it's crucial to assume that all competent world-class militaries are doing the same thing. The U.S. is not alone in this regard. Uh, it's not a matter of, like, we're beyond good and evil. These are just the rules of the road for these organizations. But in the case of the U.S. Navy specifically, there is one project, gentlemen, one rumor of a test that has obsessed thousands of people for decades. That's our episode today. What is the Philadelphia Experiment? We'll tell you about it in just a moment. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. We're back. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but we've researched extensively and the facts are there. The Philadelphia Experiment was the original name for what we call cream cheese. It was invented by the U.S. Navy back in the 1950s, shortly after World War II, to address growing and urgent concerns about the lack of cream in wartime cheese supplies. Those maniacs. <laughs> they were so preoccupied with whether they could do this, they never considered whether they should. Yep. And we made a whole video about it. If you head over to YouTube.com slash Conspiracy Stuff, you can watch that video. And really, it's just... The lack of cream in that video is astounding, and it's really what it's all about. The best part of the video is when they start getting into different flavors. That's when it really, they cracked the egg wide open. Mm -hmm. The cream cheese arm race, yeah, the flavor arm race. Uh, it was a harrowing time, you know, um, and I, I think I, I think we can all agree um, that the world got very close to ending. So thank you. Uh, that's, cre cream cheese is also, you know, uh, the, the cream cheese conflict is also where we see the origins of mutually assured destruction or mad policy, which later you might recognize from nuclear weapons. Uh, we're kidding. This is something different. <laughs> we, we think we're kidding. I don't know. Uh, big cream. Don't shut us down. What we're really talking about is something that I believe could now be described as an urban legend. It's been around long enough that it's reached legend, uh, legend status. And we have a story for you folks. Strap in. Legendary to the point that, uh, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier with that room of Navy tech people getting a little excited, uh, <laughs> big upping each other on weird ideas. Uh, there was a room full of uh, Hollywood executives doing something very similar, saying the Philadelphia Experiment. Brilliant idea for a sci-fi film of 1984. That's right. Now, cast your mind back to 1943, October, at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. Government scientists are conducting an experiment aboard a U.S. Navy cannon-class destroyer escort called the USS Eldridge. It's number DE-173. There are some notable people 
in attendance at this momentous occasion, uh, one of whom is Albert Einstein. He was there. Albert, yeah, Albert Einstein was making the rounds, according to the story, uh, because you see the eggheads working for the Navy had reached some fascinating conclusions about the application of Einstein's theory of the unified field. And they were hoping to create a real-life invisibility cloak, a field of energy that would render the Eldridge invisible both to the human eye and to radar, which was the more important part. This is sort of like a uh, sciency tech version of like, a, you know, D&D cloak of invisibility, basically, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Potter, cloak of invisibility, what have you. Just a ship, it's on a ship instead of a person or a level three warlock. And this, this gets Lovecraftian pretty quickly. And it's a story that I think... You know, if you consider yourself a conspiracy realist, this is probably one of your favorite stories when you're growing up. Ben, is it any accident that the ship was named the USS Eldridge? It's great for the story. It really works. It really works. And this is a real ship, by the way. We'll get into this, too. That part is spelled differently. It's spelled E-L-D-R-I-D-G-E. Yes. Good point. Uh, So according to the story, this experiment is unusual in comparison to other declassified experiments, because it is witnessed by hundreds, possibly thousands of sailors who are at the port or who are on other nearby ships. The testing was a a series of events, and it began, as Matt said, in the summer of 43. At first, it seemed successful to a limited extent. One test allegedly resulted in the Eldridge becoming kind of translucent, you know, somewhat obscured, almost invisible. And then some witnesses reported a, quote, greenish fog, or later described as a green glow, appearing in place of where the ship used to be. Uh, Crew members allegedly complained of severe nausea, uh, and then disaster struck. And just, uh, you know, while we're here, if any of that is true, it sounds like nuclear stuff to me. A greenish fog, glow. you say? Yeah. People are getting yeah. dosed by radiation and feeling yeah. a little sick. That's yeah. what it sounds like. It also reminds me a lot of when David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear on live television, minus the radiation and the greenish glow. Apparently, he just pulled a giant like curtain up and then dropped it. But that was a big deal at the time. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered how he did that. And also, I unrelated, I always wonder how people get into those sorts of gigs, you know, like just from a infrastructure, equipment, materials. Practice, practice, practice. Same way you get to Carnegie Hall, you know. You start with a spoon and you end up with the Statue of Liberty. You just pick a real specific niche and just go with it. Lean into it hard. (laughs) I'm a magician, but I only disappear statues. (laughs) That's my power. Guys, I'm being serious here. I I mean, think about the fog even. Like, what could that be? Oh, I don't know. Someone trying to figure out how to make uh, a piece of uranium go into water and then I don't know, use the steam that's coming off of it to make some experiment happen, but they don't understand exactly what's happening yet with all that steam. And we know now from what was soon to follow, uh, radioactive energy creation is all about steam. And we know that the water and all of that stuff that is used to generate radioactive uh, energy is absolutely toxic. Yes, but we're not saying that that's what was happening here. This is Matt's little silly pet theory. And this has been Matt's (laughs) 
Silly pet theory corner. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's neither little nor silly. There are another there's a there's a other couple possibilities. It is a corner uh, though. Can we at least agree on that? I think it's yeah, a corner. Sure. Yeah, okay, cool. yeah, we're in your corner. Um, in multiple levels. So one of the things that could have happened is if there were some sort of energy field or distortion uh, that affected perception, the Eldridge probably had lights on it, right? Uh, so those lights may have been somehow distorted, producing what appeared to be a greenish glow. Anyhow, uh, we said disaster struck. We'll get into the details of the legend, but here's the general gist of what happened. The crew had severe side effects. Um, some died. Uh, these side effects were much more than just an upset stomach. Some were allegedly found materialized partway into the hull of the ship, fused into it, like um, like phasing that went wrong. I'm sorry, Ben. I can't get over every time you say the Eldritch. I'm just picturing Cthulhu-esque hulking monsters coming out of the sea. Wait for it. Yeah. And also, I, I perhaps unfairly primed us by immediately saying Lovecraftian. Oh, no, it was completely fair. <laughs> so, it's, it's okay. Well, the other thing is, um, just so everybody understands, uh, phasing, just so we're all on the same page here, phasing is when you have a creature on the board and they're in play for turn one, basically, let's say, and then it comes to your turn again after your opponent has played, and then they would phase out. So you'd flip them over. Then uh, on the next, your next turn, they would phase back in. So you'd flip it back over and they could attack and block and things like that. Which is based on the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, and, and also, of course, for any fans of comics, uh, we know that is the primary power of Kitty Pride uh, and is one of the many powers of Vision, who is a synthesoid. What was Kitty Pride's uh, sexual superhero name? Was that it? Shadowcat. Shadowcat. Thank you. Just making sure. Uh, so, so this we're making light of this, but if true, this is an enormous tragedy because it means hundreds of people saw multiple folks die in a way that appeared to be physically impossible. Some simply disappeared and were never seen again. And still others, how Lovecraftian is this, were driven mad by the experience, by whatever they saw on the inside of that energy field, where they were plagued for years by mysterious cases of, quote, phasing in and out of existence. The Navy disavowed all knowledge of this. You can read their statement about it, which is low-key hilarious. Nah, dog. That didn't happen. <laughs> right. Uh, but since the mid-50s, not, the, not 1943, since about the mid-50s, the story grew legs in the public sphere. More and more authors came forward, claiming to have either second or firsthand knowledge of the event. And at times, their various different stories about what happened in 1943 contradict one another in, in numerous ways. Yeah, 1956 is when a ufologist by the name of Morris Jessup got letters from a person identifying himself as Carlos Miguel Allende or Carl M. Allen. Uh, and let's just really quickly remind everyone that this was about 12 years after the experiment allegedly took place oh man these letters oh boy okay so if you have ever just to make this human and relatable if you have ever been in a situation where you have published a book or you've created art or music or something where something that people respond to then you might be familiar with the uh out of the blue 
uh, extraordinary correspondence. That's what we'll call it, extraordinary correspondence. Uh, we get it here at this show, and for the most part, uh, we love it, and we're very fortunate to receive these letters. But here's what Carlos slash Carl claims in his letters. Uh, his his government name is Carl Allen, by the way. He just goes by Carlos Allende. So Carl says that he he witnessed this secret experiment, 1943, World War II, at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. He was not on the Eldridge, he says. He was on a nearby ship, the Furoseth, and he was watching the Eldridge and he saw he he had learned through this experience and through his own later investigations that the ship didn't just uh, disappear, didn't just become invisible for a little bit, but it got teleported to New York in a way that was physically impossible, given what we understand about ship propulsion at the time. And then it got teleported to another dimension wherein the crew encountered sentient non-human life. Then it got teleported through time. This is a dangerous journey. And that's what led to the deaths of several men. And uh, Carlos slash Carl is the one who claimed, you know, they saw the greenish glow. People were fused to the ship. He also said he saw a guy, a survivor of the Eldridge later in a bar. And as he watched the man, the man vanished from existence. And really quickly, I'm certain that the, these accounts are the in, in, inspiration for the 1984 sci-fi film, The Philadelphia Experiment, um, where some sailors who were on board when this experiment took place uh, get teleported to the Nevada desert, and then things get weird. Mm-hmm. And Carl, Carl, it's important to say, Carl, as we'll learn, was a guy who was a fan of sending letters. But it made sense for him to reach out to this guy, Jessup, because Jessup had just published a book called The Case for the UFO. It's it's kind of like a, a primer and speculation, examining UFO phenomena in general, and then speculating on things like what their propulsion system could be. Like, how could they um, be so nimble? Defy physics, basically. Right, yeah, right. yeah just so. Uh, eventually, Carl would end up sending Jessup more than 50 letters. And Jessup at first, so here's the thing. You might think, okay, Jessup just automatically dismisses this guy out of hand because he makes some crazy claims. He also, by the way, I can't remember if we mentioned this. He also, by the way, uh, told Jessup in the course of these letters that he had personally spent several weeks with Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein was explaining in person the the truth about the unified field and various other bleeding edge of physics kind of subjects. God, sucks, because how cool would that be? I mean, it it sounds amazing. But everyone out there listening, you know, we've encountered stories like this before where you have to be you have to like remain skeptical enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have to we're all doing that right now. It doesn't mean we completely disbelieve all of all of us, at least. But it does mean that we're venturing into some some choppy waters here. (laughs) Right. Well said. Yeah. Jessup Jessup is taking the same tack. Initially, he says, "Okay, I'm going to try to seriously investigate these these claims, these ideas in good faith. But he becomes frustrated because this Carl guy, this person he knows only through letters, uh, seems unable to or unwilling to produce physical evidence. Eventually, Jessup dismisses all, all, all these missives as the work of a crackpot or someone who has 
having some cognitive stability issues. And he goes about his day. That was in, what was that, 1955, 56. He's fine. He's like, okay, well, that was weird. Uh, But then. But then, (laughs) 1957. He gets yeah. another weird piece of correspondence. Yeah, not from a UFO guy, crackpot, it, like from the Office of Naval Research in Washington, D.C. They reach out to him, and they're a little bit annoyed. Uh, they'd gotten a package containing a paperback version of the case for the UFO. Uh, it was in a manila envelope marked Happy Easter. Oh, And the book had been marked up extensively. Oh, yes. It, it reminds me of something... Honestly, my grandfather would do. Uh, there were three different shades of pink that had been just all written, scribbled throughout there. And it appeared to show correspondence between three individual people, one of whom is named Jemmy. That's J-E-M-I. And the O-N-R labeled the other two as simply Mr. A and Mr. B. You gotta call them something. You know what I mean? Let's not yeah. complicate it. I'm sure they had a whole list of names and they're like Lancelot, Galahad, Mansa Musa. And someone else said, okay, dude, calm down. We'll just, we'll start <laughs> at A. Uh, exactly. So, so the, these notes are interesting. We believe that one of the reasons uh, Carl Allen specifically contacted Jessup originally was because in his book, The Case for the UFO, he mentions Einstein and he mentions Unified Field and, and Carl Allen had either spent a lot of time with Einstein or had thought about him pretty frequently. Uh, so in these notes, and these are heavy notes, by the way, in these notes, there are oblique references to the Philadelphia experiment. And there are also, like, if you look at it, the way they're written, uh, it's almost as if there is a chat forum. It, it looks almost as if these people were passing this book back and forth to one another and reacting to the things the other people said. And then, and then we get like almost like a Hitchcockian twist where jessup notices something and then like i can picture the editing cross you know like doing a voiceover from the past or like a flashback to when he first noticed this he recognizes the handwriting of all three people because it's one person it's that guy who sent him all those letters and now now he's got jammed up by the navy this is not this is not what you imagine happening when Mm. you want to write a cool ufo book uh so well, he, well, this guy jammed himself up by sending it over to the Navy, no, <laughs> but is now jamming up Jessup. Yeah, Jessup, <laughs> Jessup is unfairly jammed here. Uh, so he, he rec- like Noel says, he recognizes this handwriting and he recognizes the subject matter, the style of writing. Uh, he says, look, this is all that same guy who's been sending me stuff and uh, – Naval authorities, I assure you, I I think he's kind of off. He says has some interesting things to say. Oh, by the way, he's also a close friend of Albert Einstein. Uh, you know, we, why are you who, talking who just, to me? Just died, right? This is like yeah, the, yeah, just about two years ago. Einstein died in fifty five, and this is fifty seven. So. That's what he says. He's like, look, I don't know. I'm just trying to make a living as a writer. It's it's tough all around, but I have nothing to do with this. He probably also went on to say, like, I'm also not a communist in case that comes up. Uh, and then he goes off. Uh, and he's still now he's like now, if you think about it from Jessup's perspective, the Navy calling you up about this story that you originally might not have believed that becomes a huge 
piece of credibility, does it not? Especially, there's another twist here. This, this is a twist that I think will be a big one. Uh, the Office of Naval Research itself later funded a very small republication of Jessup's book through a, a military contractor called Vero. Why? They, I, I don't know, man, because they, they, when they published it, when they republished it, it wasn't just Jessup's work. They published it with all of those annotations by those three fake people. Double Y? <laughs> right. Uh, Utopia, anyone? Still, oh God, it's usually <laughs> in my mind. Sorry, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, uh, and thanks to everybody who wrote, wrote in and, and alerted us to the British version being up there, uh, being available. Watched now. both seasons already. Do yep. it now. Is What's it good? Verdict? Yes. That's all. That's all it is. Yes. Do you prefer it to the U.S. version? In, in many ways. In, in other ways, no. <laughs> and I'm not going to elaborate. So don't take our word for it. If you want to check out Utopia, now is the perfect time to do it. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, uh, and we're going to watch the, the rest of the seasons. Then we'll be back and we'll do this. We'll do the show. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back. This is one heck of a tale so far. This is, I mean, step step to the left, rhyme of the ancient mariner. We have a new <laughs> legend of the sea. Uh, so let's dive further into these claims. The numerous authors writing about this in later years link the experiment to other pre-existing conspiracy theories regarding uh, particularly allied and axis experimentation on the bleeding edges of known science during World War II. And the thing about that stuff is... As crazy as it sounds, uh, there is a little bit of sand to some of those World War II uh, conspiracy theories. Shout out to the Horton HO, right? Uh, that that might have changed the war. <laughs> we really lucked out. Uh, this also became the Philadelphia Experiment writers also connected it to later conspiracies, such as things like the Montauk Project, which we still... We haven't done an episode on that, I think, but if we do, it's it's going to be kind of the part two of the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. And we, we see something happening here with the story of the Philadelphia experiment that we're seeing a lot more of in modern times, actually, extremely uh, recent times, where some of the authors who were writing about it are willing to make leaps in logic and almost just assume that certain stories are real and then find connective tissue between those two stories in some you know small way, as Ben was saying, like to the Montauk Project. But uh, it seems as though a lot of the authors writing about it were just willing to do that. And then there it becomes a thing where the lore builds up over time, where more and more people are stating kind of the same thing that hasn't been proven, but enough people are saying it that it feels true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a social aspect to it, a social engineering aspect. And there there were these common story elements, the ones we outlined in our uh, exploration of the legend. There were plenty of contradictory claims as people got their favorite, you know, pet theory corners stoked. And uh, one thing one thing you'll notice is that the authors often paint Carlos Allende or Carl Allen as this very mysterious, enigmatic figure, a drifter on the fringes of the mainstream, a man nearly impossible to contact. This turned out to be very much not true. Interesting. I mean, that's certainly the way it seems to come off in terms of the the assembled lore around this story, right? Yeah, picture him like he's a, like the the popular mythic image of this guy would be a lot like the father in Firestarter, you know, on the run from the government, mysterious men in black chasing you for your rare and dangerous knowledge and or abilities. Um, So this drew the attention of a paranormal researcher named Robert Gorman. Around 1979 or so, Gorman was looking back through this stuff and he noticed something weird. 
the original return address on that Easter package that was sent to uh, the Office of Naval Research was from New Kensington, Pennsylvania. Holy smokes, says Rob. That's my hometown. I live here. I can find this address. And the coincidences got even stranger. This guy, Carlos Allende, his real name was Carl Allen. He lived in town. He was the son of a close family friend of the Gormans. So Gorman was able to reach Carl Allen with relatively little difficulty. That means something profoundly changed over the course of all those other um, writers' experience, or that means that maybe they weren't trying as hard to contact him as they led their readers to believe. But he was known around town. He had a reputation for being a bit of a loner with sort of a wild imagination, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, He was an eccentric. He was infamous for writing on anything and everything around the family house. Uh, And as Skeptoid puts it, uh, he was also known to send bizarre writing and claims to everyone in his family or in his circle uh, for any occasion. And there's there's a word for this. It's called hypergraphia, a behavioral condition characterized by the intense desire to write or draw. Ben, this instantly makes me think of Lovecraftian stuff, where someone who has lost their mind holed up in some sort of ramshackled abandoned mansion scrawls weird Cthulhu-esque cryptograms all over the wall. Does it not? That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we I think we're well on the way to making our own version of the Philadelphia experiment as a feature film. Uh or maybe a series of YouTube videos. All right. Well, mm-hmm. love it. We'll, we'll workshop it. So Look, Gorman, he's tracking Carl down, uh, but at the same time, he's looking into the facts surrounding the USS Eldridge. And really, what he was finding appeared to illustrate a very different picture than what he was being given by old Carl. Um, He found a lot of the stuff fully disproved the statements that Carl was making, and Perhaps in another way, if you listening are fully convinced that this was a true story, that Carl knew the truth uh, and everyone else was keeping it quiet, it kind of it might lead you down the road of, oh, this is a full cover up and it was effective. It worked. And the, the lone person that knew the truth was seen as a crackpot. Mm-hmm. Typical for these sorts of tales, right? Yeah. Yeah. The absence of evidence can be treated as evidence. You know, which is which is tough, tough to get around. Uh, Gorman found the following. Based on U.S. naval records, the ship, the Eldridge, was nowhere near Philadelphia at the time this experiment was said to have occurred. Not only were they not there, but they had evidence, corroborated evidence of the routine stuff they were doing and where they were at the time. They could fake all that if they wanted to. Just uh, saying. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have to pursue both lines of thought here. It could be faked, right? You can change history. It's just a matter of changing records and eliminating witnesses. Um, so, so he reaches out to people who would have been firsthand witnesses. Who was uh, a crew member on the Eldridge in 43, he thinks, uh, who was on board afterwards or even before, if I could find someone still alive. Every of every single person crew member that he spoke to and was on board the ship there, none recalled anything about any such experiment. And Matt, 
this is where we have to say they could have been intimidated into That's silence. exactly. They could have been intimidated or maybe they lost consciousness. They don't actually remember it. And the horror stories are, you know, of people who didn't make it. Uh, anyway, and, just, and we so have to say that. We have to say it. We have to say it. It's It's the fair thing to acknowledge. And so... Long story short, every claim that Gorman looked into, it appeared that the vast majority of them came from one source, Carl Allen, and the rest of it was rephrased or embellished afterwards. And additionally, all of these claims that he looked into seemed to be easily disproven by uh, multiple other sources, which again would have to be compromised or faked uh, for this to be real at this point. But there are other troubling facts. Let's go back to the bar. Carl Allen, remember, he says, I saw this guy, a survivor of those uh, tragic events in 43. He was in a bar with me and then poof, he just Kaiser Sosade um, or, or uh, Nightcrawler Banffed, teleported, something. Uh, there's more news on that, though. Yeah, there were quite a few people that came forward claiming to be this person and not just regular people, veterans of the Eldritch and the USS Angstrom, uh, which was moored alongside the Eldritch in 1943. We have to note that these kinds of claims were made well after the Philadelphia Experiment became the pop culture phenomenon that it is today. And in more than one case, it actually turned out that these guys were not really veterans at all. So it, it really kind of throws a wrench into the works here and doesn't necessarily fully debunk Carl Allen's initial story because it seems like the people that are coming forward making these claims are also being a little dishonest themselves, right? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a phenomenon that you see whenever a story takes a takes gets a grip on the national consciousness, like whenever there is um a suspected or acknowledged serial killer in operating in a city. Uh, often law enforcement uh, gets inundated with calls from people who are, for one reason or another, either falsely claiming to be the killer, falsely claiming to know who it is, et cetera, et cetera. And some of these folks are pranksters. Some of these folks are maybe a little more detached from reality. But there's another huge badger in the bag here. It's the one we have to keep going back to. It's the missing piece of the puzzle. Why on earth? Did the Office of Naval Research call Jessup in the first place? Why did they why did they go to him and not just toss this in the rubbish bin? There are a couple of possibilities. Two, I would say, are pretty mundane. And one, I would say, is mm, that's what I say. It's mm, <laughs> yeah. I'm shaking okay. my finger. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you down this this route. So I would say the first one is that whatever individuals from that office that ended up making it to see Jessup. We're just doing it because they wanted to do it. They were interested. They got this weird correspondence and they're like, I kind of want to know more. I mean, I wonder if this guy's like annotating his own book and sending it to us. Let's uh, let's go talk to him. This will be this will be fun. Come on. Come on, Bill. Let's go. No, that's a really good point because like the the fact that it's a government agency, your mind immediately goes toward this is some sort of giant initiative, but these people have pretty unilateral abilities to pursue their own stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a really good point. I love the idea for this one. I love the idea of uh, of Jessup going to meet them 
And they're like, actually, we're not meeting in the office. We're just come meet me at this coffee shop over here. We're really here. just fans. We're really just you really know, we're just fans. just want to ask ask if you would sign this. Uh, yes, yeah, we're we're thinking about doing a small run. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> would you be interested in optioning this? Because we're actually deciding we're going to pivot careers. We're going to be like producers now. A lot of people, you know, have this stereotype of us as these uptight guys, but we're just, we, you know, we like to kick back, fire a few rail guns, work on some alien tech, and um, and pursue pictures. This is going to be big for us, Jessup, or should I say, Jemmy? Dun dun. Uh, <laughs> and then he's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Is fire yeah. a few rails <laughs> a euphemism for doing cocaine? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, so. I'm just back to that I so. again from earlier. Never mind. Railgun. Oh, boy. That's another hidden history. Uh, so that's the first possibility. And it, it may be mundane, but it is totally possible. Uh, the second is that it could have literally just been these guys' job. It was a small, I think it was a couple of people, it was a couple of officials. So maybe their, maybe their remit was to... Follow up on any and all correspondence, no matter how weird it was, no matter how innocuous, uh, no matter how unimportant it might seem. Like maybe they were treating this with the same kind of due diligence they would treat um, a letter from a six-year-old about Santa Claus. Maybe they just had to reply to everything and investigate it if it merited further investigation. So Hmm. they may not have had any personal interest. I could see that. Or, or what, what else up. could there be? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay, so what if, okay, what if they had to read this, they had to read the whole book, and there was something in those notes, there was something in those notes that was somehow similar to actual classified research Uncle Sam was conducting. Think about that. That's not as impossible as it sounds because there are a ton of notes there. And depending on what they're talking about, if there's even one note that seems like a legit hint that someone outside of the company knows what the Navy's up to, ooh, yeah, shivers. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to be real about this. Even if, let's say... Carl Allende, his writing, his notes, his theories, all that stuff was complete bunk. But in that writing, he he like hit upon, as Ben is saying, something that's close enough to what was occurring somewhere. Maybe if it wasn't even there, but just through through a conceptualized science fiction story, he got close enough. They would, I can imagine that being dangerous and them having to go, like you said, and follow up on oh, it. Oh, I mean, look at how much science fiction is so prescient of like future technology. You know, I mean, that's where a lot of like the idea of futurism comes from is like thought experiments that ultimately become possible. And, and then this is the part, I'm sorry, there's so many beats in this story that are just so Lovecraftian. And I know you primed the pump, Ben, but on April 30th, Jessup took his own life, presumably after succumbing to eldritch madness or mm. potentially considering himself a failure as a writer. Yeah, this story haunted him and he did die by his own hand uh, just two years after that initial contact with the Navy. Much, much I have to say it. He died two years after this, inter- this interaction with the ONR. There's potential for something to feel fishy there. No doesn't doubt. Doesn't mean that it is, but it definitely feels weird. Yeah, we have to put it in. 
Much, much later, the story continues. The 1984 film, The Philadelphia Experiment, is released. And in 1988, a man named Al Bielik, Bielik sees the film. And it shakes some things loose in his head. He goes public and says, I was there. I was on the Eldridge. I was part of that experiment. I had been brainwashed to forget it. And seeing this film jogged those memories loose. Interesting. Not, not the same thing as proof. Interesting. Carlos Allende, Carl Allen, lived until 1994. Uh, he would send letters to any number of people every so often about the Philadelphia experiment, further exploring the story and the legend. And the same year that Carl passes away, a French writer named Jacques F. Valley, V-A-L-L-E-E, uh, publishes this article in the Journal of Scientific Exploration called Anatomy of a Hoax, the Philadelphia Experiment 50 Years Later, and he receives this letter from a guy named Edward Dudgeon. Edward Dudgeon, U.S. Navy vet, 1942-1945. He has a story that relates to the Eldridge. Kind of similarly to one of the other stories we heard earlier, as someone being on board a, a near ship, that's the one that Carlos Allende initially put forward. He was on this other ship, he observed some of this, and then went down the rabbit hole. Well, this person, Edward Dugin, says that he served aboard the Engstrom, the USS Engstrom. It was dry docked in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. If the uh, Philadelphia experiment is to be true, that's also where the Eldritch was. And the, he is saying that both ships, while they were there and docked and preparing to operate, had some kind of classified tech on board. But according to his story, he wasn't saying that this was some kind of invisibility experiment, like some kind of cloaking device, nor some kind of teleportation device or something designed by extraterrestrials. Yeah, exactly. Uh, instead, he said they were attempting to scramble magnetic signatures of ships using something called degaussing. degaussing. Uh, this is um, this is a way of counteracting a ship's magnetic field to establish a condition making the uh, the ship seem invisible to certain devices. To, to radar and, and things like that, not to the eye, right? Right, right, to protect it from magnetic torpedoes, for instance. Ah, but, got but you'll still see the ship if you're in line of sight. Uh, so what he says is they wrapped the ship with large cables and zapped it with high-voltage charges so the ship, again, uh, it wouldn't be invisible to, quick clarification, would not be invisible to line of sight witnesses. Uh, it wouldn't be invisible to radar, but it would appear to be invisible to uh, magnetic torpedoes, the uh -huh. kinds that were used by U-boats. Interesting. So what about the green glow uh, that was such an interesting feature of the early reports of this experiment? So Dudgeon says it's either St. Elmo's fire or an electric storm. Uh, but St. Elmo's fire is is kind of weird. Uh, it's, it's a glow that occasionally appears around pointy objects during storms. But, I, but from what I understand, uh, that glow is supposed to be blue in color, not green. Yeah. Again, if the original account is 
true whatsoever. Yes, right? Because because the green glow is just a part of the story, the lore there. And then, you know, this person is coming forward saying, well, I was actually there and yeah, there was tech and it was for this. Um, so that's really all he's confirming. Yeah. He has a good, an interesting explanation about that apparently impossible time that the Eldridge allegedly took to go to Norfolk and then return to Philadelphia. He says the Navy was using inland canals that are off limits to civilian vessels, and that allowed them to make the trip in six hours instead of two days. But anyway, what we're saying is there are other people who are proposing uh, more grounded explanations to, to these alleged events. What happened to the ship, though? We've we've been pretty clear. The ship is real. The ship did exist, uh, and people were crewed on it. It was commissioned. It was an active vessel in the Navy until eventually it was sold for scrap, just like the Sea Shadow in the 1990s. Doesn't that seem weird, though? I guess. Yep. <laughs> yes, what? Am I being too sentimental, you guys? I would feel like maybe it's the improv mentality coming out, but like if we built some awesome, super secret technology, even if it was outdated, I would be like, come on, guys, this is more than a war machine now. It's like it's it's like a, a, a testament to our friendship and all the cool work we did traveling dimensions and, and making- yes. And there's no reason we should destroy this. Yes. And what? let's put it on display. Right. I do have to point out really quickly, uh, my dear friend, who I believe both of you have met, Peyton Fisher uh, of, of Brooklyn, New York, um, he pointed out that the Wikipedia intro for the Philadelphia experiment, he describes it as stinging. He says, I love the stinging Wikipedia intro. Quote, the alleged claims do not conform to known physical laws. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. There you go. Burn. It's true. Hey. It's true. I was going to say, sometimes they don't, guys. No, and sometimes that's, that's, don't. When it, that's when it gets exciting. Agreed. Well, I, I think there's also a, uh, there, there's a real cool thing you can do on Wikipedia, uh, especially if you're looking at a subject you feel is controversial. Hop on over to the talk tab, right? Every article starts with one tab that just says article, but to the direct right of that, you'll see the tab that says talk. And if you get into the right thing, you will find these amazing arguments by very dedicated people. Uh, I, oddly enough, you would think the geopolitical stuff would have more uh, involved, acrimonious kind of exchanges, uh, but the fan fiction things are where you see people packing a lot of a lot of uh, rhetorical heat. But yeah, you're right. Stinging accusation. And the ship is gone. It was scrapped in the 1990s. Uh, as of this recording, if you check with the Office of Naval Research today, they will tell you they have never conducted experiments on invisibility and that this sort of technology remains squarely in the realm of science fiction. However, this is not entirely true. Something like invisibility tech is currently being researched by various outfits around the planet. We just don't know of anything good enough to do what Carl Allen claimed Uncle Sam did back in the 40s. But but Google quantum stealth invisibility. It's it's a cool read. Or the kind of weird, like, functional, painty version of invisibility called dazzle camouflage, where ships were painted with these, like, weird angular stripes that supposedly mm. made them harder to see on the horizon line. Yeah. That was cool too. Do check that out. And as we get to the end of the show, 
we know there is one huge piece of the puzzle. It's a piece uh-huh. we cannot ignore. It's one that's definitely doubtlessly been on all of our minds for most of this episode. It's the real question. Where the hell does Philadelphia cream cheese actually come from? It is not Philadelphia. What? <laughs> it's not Philadelphia. We don't know. There may be consequences uh, for us disclosing this on air. Uh, but uh, cream cheese was invented in the 1870s by a guy in Chester, New York. Or uh, he's the first to mass produce it, at least. His name's William Lawrence. Yeah, but Philadelphia, they're the ones that got really good at it and, you know, figured out how to make it taste like strawberries, right? Uh, you know, I'm not going to take that one from you, Noel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have that. Okay, <laughs> the, uh, thank you. The, uh, the funny thing is, this is just so unrelated to anything. Uh, he called it Philadelphia cream cheese because he thought it sounded classier. And, and huh. fancier because at the time Philadelphia was well known for the quality of its dairy industry. Sure, but it, but but it's still something that Philly residents sort of hold on to as like a point of pride. Yeah, I, I think it only really checks out if he had a southern accent because Philadelphia it really is lovely. <laughs> So that's that's our show. Unfortunately, at this point, it does appear that the majority of the really out there claims linked to the Philadelphia experiment can be traced to a single man, Carl Allen. Uh, Additionally, the majority of his claims do not seem to hold up to scrutiny and they can either be disproven or they just can't be corroborated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as we record today, multiple government agencies do continue classified research across a wide, wide range of disciplines. Um, Just last week, it was reported the Navy has gone public about several of these classified patents. Yeah, it's true. And you can read about this right now. A great resource we found was on The Drive. They've got a, I, I guess it's kind of a I don't know, an imprint within whatever the drive is called the war zone. And there's just some great articles coming out of there. Uh, Brett Tingley or Tingley and Tyler Rogaway are, are two authors that we've been reading a ton off of that website lately. And you can even find like, there are great helpful things here in these articles, like a Google patent search with specifically the Salvatore Paese guy on here. Uh, it's a key, key name that you can look up as you're doing your own research, you can see all of the actual patents for crazy stuff. Wow. I, I'm, I still want to see the patent for the e-meter that uh, Mike Render told us about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's something very interesting afoot here with these patents. That's why we shout out the Invention Secrecy Act of 51, which remains in effect today. Uh, essentially... The folks that the journalists are talking to over at the war zone have confirmed that the U.S. government spent more than a half million dollars over three years to specifically to test some theories that every other physicist says are pseudoscience. So what is the truth here? And and, and when do we find out? Ah, and still... Why was the ONR so interested in this story? We have no idea. What do you think? Please let us know. We try to be easy to find online. We're on Facebook. Uh, go over to Here's Where It Gets Crazy to meet the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, not just as a show, but as individuals. That's right. If you would like, you can find me on Instagram where I am at How Now Noel Brown. Matt underscore Jimbe dash Frederick uh, overscore the Bongo Boy, aka the Cream Corn Kid dot org. Yep, 
So uh, you can also find me at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to me directly at Ben Bullen on Instagram. I hate social media. You're saying shaking your fist into the sky. But I have a story I need to tell you. We have good news for you, my friend. That's right. You can call one eight three three stdwytk and leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tones. That is correct. We very much look forward to hearing from you. We are a bit behind. Hey, look, hey, we're catching up and we're getting there quickly. Uh, please try and limit it to one message if you can and keep it as brief as you can. Give us all that important information right up front. Hammer it home and uh, we will hopefully get you on the air on one of our listener mail episodes. Just let us know if you don't want us to play your voice or you don't want us to say your name on the air. Um, one other thing here. We don't have much, if any, Wikipedia presence as a show. Oh, yeah. Guys. What's that about? Well, I, I think we have one mention on an old How Stuff Works entry yes. with the How Stuff Works podcast. I'm just putting this out there. Hey, are you listening to this and a, a wiki editor? Uh, I don't know. Put something on there. We, we'd we love to see even a, a like a silly entry. Uh, now. I don't know. Am I incorrect to assume that a lot of Wikipedia entries are done by the parties involved themselves? I think that's true, or maybe a PR agency some people hire, uh, but I don't I don't feel like it's ethical. We don't play and that I, way, do we? No. no. And I'm surprised, Matt. I'm surprised you bring this up because some doors don't close. So we're yeah, they better not close. Situation. Uh, we're going to yeah, live forever like, on the wiki. <laughs> but please, no stinging opening lines, if you would. <laughs> if, if none of that white uh, sends your the ship of your mind hurtling through dimensions and time, there is one other way you can always contact us, regardless of where you're at, uh, what you think about the Philadelphia experiment, or every other little thing under and beyond the sun. That is our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 